We are trailblazers. We are scientists. We are diplomats. We are warriors. We are protectors. We are healers. We are pioneers. We are explorers. We are family. And we are the crew of the USS Arabella, boldly going where no one has gone before. Hello and welcome to The Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny, and I play Nathan Quinn, the captain of the USS Arabella. And this is Jen. I play the Vulcan First Officer Commander Savril. On today's briefing, we have RPG Protocol, the story so far, and our final thoughts. Diagnostic complete. Initiating RPG Protocol. Okay, for today's RPG Protocol, we have a few things we want to discuss. Uh, first, let's discuss uh, storyline. Just um, when Jen and I propose a new story, a new season, we were from here on out, we're actually going to be uh, outlining everything. Because we do find that people do enjoy it more when we actually have a structure, a structured plan of what they can and cannot do. Um, so we want to discuss just keeping within that structure and not deviating too much off of it. Um, because we do plan things out ahead of time. It's not like we just, someone posts something and then we react to that post. Um, what else? At least the the skeleton of the story. I mean, there are there are little details that get filled in by the writers as we go, um, but the structure, like Kenny said, is is decided upon at the beginning of the season, and usually in a either in a meeting between the writers who are participating in the RPG, or um, as it occurred in season five. Um, this we wanted to really surprise everyone with the uh, explosion of the Tiberius, so mm-hmm. we just decided on the storyline and everyone built upon it, and it worked really well that mm-hmm. way. And it and it has worked every time we've done it, but in every season there's somebody who doesn't like an outline and doesn't know, you know, doesn't know how to work with an outline. So we decided this season it might be fun to have, you know, just the barest a minimum of structure, which happened to be, you know, okay, there's no technology on this planet. We can't use technology on this planet. We can't beam down. We can't, you know, let's set up some limitations and work within those. Mm-hmm. And so it's worked well, but as we, we've we gone on for a few months now, it's kind of wandered here and there, and it just probably would work better if we had a, a better structure, um, better outline, and just stuck with that just to you know this was kind of our experimental <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and and like it, it's been a, it's been a really good season it's just that we do need to try to focus more and just just focus more on the story everyone needs to whoever's going to participate needs to participate in the main story mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or obviously the b story we had going on on the ship which never really became anything um because really, we we did we did the ship as people who were too busy to post all the time, so we tried to get them over there, and then all the mm-hmm. main, the people who were who were able to post all the time were down on the away mission. So we expected the away mission to be a lot heavier with posts than the people on the ship. Yeah, and then in the future, in our next seasons to come, um, 
we're going to limit the number of little offshoot stories that uh, really are very character focused. Mm-hmm. So subplots are good, you know, things that be stories that are going on on the ship that per- pertain to a little mission. You know, maybe something. Say, for instance, we're doing the mirror universe. There's obviously going to be people who are going to be evil in the mirror universe, and there's going to be one person that goes over there that's good, and you know, we'll write from from that perspective uh, of the evil people and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there will be a B story on the ship of people who are trying to find that person who disappeared into the mirror universe, and maybe there's something you know that everybody is participating in on the ship. Instead of you know stories that are very focused on on one character and what happened to them um, you know before the mission started or you know their back history or whatever yeah. things like that we should put in um, character profiles which people have gotten away from doing um, I think it's it makes um, things more interesting when there are other s- supplemental um, stories to read in character profiles and you really learn a lot more about your character too when you build up your profile like that you know how your character will will react in the main story when you have something like that to go back to yeah. or you know if you've pounded it out yourself even if there's nobody else reading it but you had a chance to write it you become more familiar with your character and who they are and how they will react in the future to missions or how, you know whether or not they like Captain Quinn or yeah. Vulcans or you know things like that yeah. but please yeah try to try to use your character profiles for stories like that yeah um i yeah, for yeah. one i'm sorry i for one love to read other people's um backstories or even if they're not backstories maybe like they're um you know, just little side missions that they go on, uh, you know, uh, on shore leave that we haven't really written about. You know, the spaces in between our seasons, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, those are very interesting, and I know a couple of people do visit um, character profiles when those are written. Mm-hmm. So, just something to think about. Yeah, and we're, and we're not saying you can't put character building moments within your story, within the main story, also. Um, just not really long, elaborate ones. Stuff that would be better uh, if it was placed into your character profile, um, mm-hmm. especially big revelations of your of your history. Uh, you know, if you're doing like a back, like a dream sequence or something that you're remembering something back when, that would be perfect for a character profile. Um, yeah. For for example, I've mentioned the fact that um, Ryla remembers being a mother. You know, because of her her um, symbiote's past hosts, and if I want to explore that, I would do that in the the um, character profile section. Yeah, because I think it would help me know who those people were and how they shaped Ryla's life. Yeah, you know, if I did that. Yeah, but not that you it can't, really. You can, I'm sorry. Yeah, I can mention um, yeah. some of that and use some of that stuff that I've written about in the RPG. Yeah, you know. But it would um, it would just take other people um, out of the main story, you know. It kind of takes some off roading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's our goal, pretty much, is to keep everyone focused on the main story and the minor yeah. B plots that are happening around them. Which, you know, those B plots normally pertain to the main story. You know, we don't ever, we don't hardly have ever any kind of you know two A stories running at the same time. We have one giant A story. 
and then we have a B, C, and a D story, and they're all pertaining to that one big A story. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to have this, you know, J story that's that's starting at the same time as the A story, and it just, it'll just get confusing for people. So we're just trying to refine and focus uh, the storytelling so it's easier for people to follow stories. Because you know, when we're posting these, we do post them out of sequence. You know, because I'll post something about Quinn on the ship, and then. Jen will post something about Severo on the planet and then, you know, so they're all over the place so if you're trying to follow that, it's sometimes difficult so, we're just trying to keep things simplified, so if you're going to go into Extravagant uh, if you want to tell us a backstory about your character, which is great because we all enjoy it, uh, we just ask that you please put it in your character profile, unless it pertains to the main story plot, if one of the, you know, one of your characters is, is uh, crucial to the main story plot, then it could definitely be put into the main story. Does that makes yeah. sense. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. Or if it's real short and sweet. <laughs> oh yeah, we always like short and sweet. So. All right. Is there anything else in RPG Protocol? Uh. No, I think that's it. All right. So I guess that completes uh, this Ready Rooms RPG Protocol. Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready. On today's story so far, we're going to once again be reading posts. Um, people seem to like that uh, that the way that way of uh, of doing the RPG instead of just briefly going over everyone's posts, we just reread posts. And I have the same. Same folks who helped me out last week are going to be doing it again this week, which is great. Thank you. And instead of doing every post, because they're – unlike last week, we only had like six or seven posts, I think, for the entire week between podcasts. Mm-hmm. This week, we have 24 posts. Um, and that's a lot of reading, and it's a lot of time, and we don't want to bog down uh, the podcast, even though it would probably would be nice. But you're looking at probably an hour and a half, two hours of reading. Yeah, no, I did that last yeah. what, two weeks ago. Yeah. I read the whole thing, and my gosh, that took me all day long. Yeah. So, so instead, what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, we're only going to read the stuff that pertains to the A plot, which are the two away mission teams and and their adventure on the planet. Um, everything else, stuff that's happening on the ship, stuff that's happening in shuttles, anywhere else. It's only going to be the two away team mission. Away team mission? That's not right. Away mission? Away. Yeah, or it could <laughs> We're going to be reading whatever is related to those people. That yes. Said. Yeah. Yeah, so, and there's quite a few of those, so it's still going to be a, yeah. lengthy, a lengthy read, but uh, we just thought it'd be easier to cut those down a little bit. So, uh, take it away, guys. This is a joint post by Jen, Wraith1701, and Stitches, Brian CD. And Just X, read by Brian C.D. Mackie focused on the magician. What was the connection here? Then suddenly it came to her. It was the Hoska fruit vendor, or rather the vendor's wagon. The magician carried the same jarring, sickly sweet nectar smell, perhaps on his voluminous robes. She moved closer to help filter out the way team's natural and assumed fragrances. No, not his clothing, and not his natural smell either. Something he had next to his skin. It mingled with the not-unpleasant terrasic male musk. Commander Surveil bowed slightly to the towering man standing before her. Sir, my master has come a great distance to see you. 
The conjurer smirked as he placed a hand on his daughter's head and stroked her silky blue strands. Yes, as have many, his eyes flashed with arrogance, then turned to leave. Savril swept her gaze towards Karath, and without uttering a word, spoke volumes to the chief engineer. He knew it was now time to put his choice of surgical alteration to the test. The Klingon nodded in understanding, cleared his throat, and shook a pouch of coins for the conjurer's benefit. The magician stopped and glanced over his shoulder at the chief engineer. Seeing that he had the man's attention, the Klingon improvised, I am in need of your services, and I am willing to triple the wages that your master currently pays you. He was now fully engaged with Karath. Clearly his services were for sale, and the Klingon knew that the greed would be a powerful motivator. Although she had chosen to disguise herself as one of the noble caste, Arya had begun to regret that decision. Like many children, she once desired to play the role of a princess, but the reality was stifling. She simply observed the exchange and the negotiations with the wizard. When they forced her mother from their world, she had become fascinated by the rich past of her mother's people and the legacy of the Vatashkator and the Vulcans before the Awakening. She craved more out of her existence, and these missions were something that fulfilled that need. The man glanced from one group member to another, then scanned his immediate area in a nervous manner and gestured for Karath to follow. The magician led the group over a wooden catwalk and into a room at the far end. As the oval door closed behind the last of the group, he turned to address Karath. My employer is mistrustful of his servants. Your loose words could mean my death. He would kill me if he knew I was speaking to you now. He eyed the coin purse and Karath held in his hand with anticipation. What service do you require? I am a man of great power and influence in my land, Karath explained. My enemies are vast as my wealth, and I require the services of someone with your particular... skills. Clearly the magician was interested in the job, but Karath needed to see the extent of the man's powers to better determine if he truly was being supported by any Starfleet technology or simply a consummate showman. I will require a demonstration of your power before I name my price. Severell found it odd that the man employed to protect his master from assassins would be fearful of him. The Vulcan remained silent, simply observing his manner as Karath wove an impressive tale about his need for protection. The commander rolled her gaze to Spring and Arya to gauge the reaction to his delivery. It was her husband's job to lie, and he had crafted quite a few for her, but Severell was not the best judge when it came to the quality of the performance, for she had bought all of David's. Mackie glanced back and met Savril's eyes. She raised pale blue eyebrows to indicate her interest before continuing her mission to sniff out the truth. As Karath concluded his spiel, the magician simply stared at the group in silence. Overcome by a need to seize control of the situation, Catan stepped forward. "'You need not fear a reprisal from your master,' he said. "'If you agree to work for my lord, we will take you with us. Your master will have no hope of finding you then.' As he took in the group gathered before him, the magician's demeanor seemed to gradually change." take me with you, eh? He asked. Excuse me, but which province are you from exactly? The southern continent, Catan replied quickly. Our ship delivered us here a few days ago. The magician glanced at the pendant hanging from Catan's neck, and his eyes drifted up back to meet Catan's. An enigmatic smile formed on his face. It is said that the southern seas are extremely dangerous this time of year. The currents are nearly impossible to navigate. Your ship must be one of the stars of your fleet to have made the crossing safely. Detecting what seemed to be an unusual stress on the two words in the magician's last sentence, Katan courts an eyebrow in an almost Vulcan manner. You could say that. Joint post by Jen and Justax, read by myself. 
Arya bit her lip as she heard confirmation of the man's knowledge. She was furious that they had tainted such an interesting culture. One of the most sacred rules of the Federation was not only being violated, it was being flaunted. She moved closer to the magician and focused her air upon him. Are you going to make a scene now? I would love to show you my magic, but it's nowhere as grand as our magician here. She gave a quick glance to Catan. His is an old magic that involves calling down from the sky to smite sinners that continue to willfully spike the laws of heaven and break the covenants they were entrusted with. Unable to completely quell the feeling of unease, Commander Savril shifted her weight and crossed her arms. If you mean that the sailing ship that carried us here was swift and sturdy, then yes, our ship is an excellent seafaring vessel. The wizard swept an appraising eye from Savril to Arya and Kararth. Why do you allow your servants to speak to me? And the female, though she is blate, she should not address me directly. Either you truly are foreigners, or your command over others is more limited than you let on. He waved a hand in dismissal as Kararth began to intercede. I care not, as long as the currency you disperse is legitimate. I will demonstrate my skills only after you allow me to examine the coins, to verify that they are not counterfeit. This post is by Wraith1701, read by Markenroe. Face heating, Catan scowled at the magician's insulting, dismissive tone. His first impulse was to shake hands with the man's neck. Glancing at his comrades, he followed their cue and held his tongue. The magician's mention of star and fleet could have been nothing more than a coincidence, or it could have been a subtle hint to let the team know that he had suspected their true identity. As demonstrated by Commander Several, the best course of action in either case would be to stay in character and wait for Terrasik to slip up. If he truly was one of the missing scientists, it would only be a matter of time. The man held out his hands towards Karath. The coins, please? This post is by Just X, read by Brian C.D. Eric James and the Ensign moved unmolested through the city as they followed his senses. He had randomly detected a technological signal since their arrival, but it had become more constant when arrived in the city. Their path had taken them towards the entry of the stone-carved necropolis that held the dead in their final rest. Their interaction with the locals had revealed that there was a recent addition to the tombs, it contained the body of what they called the Terra Darak, beings that would be the Earth equivalent of fairies and changelings. The discovery of the crimson-blooded male was all the proof that the blue-blooded Terrasic needed to confirm their myth. We need to see that body, Eric whispered and made sure the ensign was aware of the heavy guard presence. It seems they don't want that body disturbed until those from the other settlements have a chance to confirm their story. This post is by Hawkeye Meds, read by Hawkeye Meds. Dunn fell to his knees. The body of Lieutenant Joseph de Carlin lay motionless on top of the silent beast. The child released her arms from Dunn's neck and looked at him. Her tears had stopped. She put her hands on Dunn's face and turned his head towards her. Sorry. Dunn's eyes registered the young girl's words. Go to your parents, young one. Go home. The child waited for a bit and then backed off, and ran into the woods from where the beast had come from. Dunn returned his eyes to the bodies below. He took his pendant from around his neck and tapped the edge. Done to Commander James. We've had a serious incident here. I need the runabout straight away. Repeat, hurry. I need the transport back to the Ravabella. He was surprised how calm he sounded, but inside, his stomach churned, and his motions were shot. 
Waiting for a reply, he fell back onto his side, his eyes locked onto Callan's body. This post is a joint post between Iceman and Moyer777, read by Kenny. Dr. Peterson, Margon, and Lieutenant Whitco strolled down the field of red-covered grass toward what looked like a very crudely made road that had been worn down through the use over a long period of time. The air was thick with a heavy mist of fog, and the heat and humidity made it difficult to breathe. Beads of moisture and sweat appeared to be forming on the foreheads of the landing party due to the humidity. The landing party continued to walk quietly down this makeshift path for hours in silence, to conserve as much energy as possible, each locked in deep thought until... Margon stopped them. What's that sound? The men stood silently and heard a whimper from the side of the road. Lieutenant Wilco searched for a moment and found a native female huddled up against what appeared to be some sort of animal. The animal was obviously dead, but the young woman was breathing frantically and whimpering between breaths. Dr. Peterson strolled over and bent down. As Margon watched, he got the feeling they weren't alone. Just as he looked behind him, a large blue individual pounced on him, knocking him to the ground. Lieutenant Whitco grabbed the native and pulled him off Margon, only to receive a punch in the face. Margon and Peterson looked at each other in horror as they heard the unhealthy crack from the young lieutenant's face, which was followed by a gush of red blood. The blue man looked in horror as he saw the red liquid gushing out of Lieutenant Whitco's face. He gasped as he said, His face! His face is bleeding red blood. He began to yell and scream something that the translator could not translate as he started to run away from the landing party. Margon cried out, We can't let him get away, as he began to chase after the individual. This post is written by Hawkeye Meds and read by Brian C.D. Ensign Dunn had pulled himself together after watching the runabout cloak. He'd earlier watched with small relief to Callum's chest slowly move up and down. Making the decision to leave the two tusks into Callan would be what will save him, though the white bubbly foam that oozed from the beast's mouth caused concern. If the animal had some kind of rabies, then Callan may not recover. Using his Starfleet training, Dunn had put two sample filters, one filled with the white foam, the other with the animal's blood, into Callan's body so Drek could investigate any possible problems that may cause concern to the welfare of the fallen security chief. Keeping an eye on where the young girl had vanished to, Ensign Dunn decided to track her. His recent spell in the holodeck simulations now became obvious. He was not now searching for King Arthur. He now searched for not only the missing Starfleet personnel, but also the young girl. She would have a family, and maybe that family could give answers. Looking back to where the runabout had been, Dunn gave one last thought to his fallen commander before putting all of his concentration on the mission ahead. This post is by Jen, read by Jen. Doctors Drett and O'Leary Peterson rushed to prepare for their patient's arrival. Mayella had been awakened from a deep sleep by Ryla's short hail over the calm. Five minutes later, she joined the Trillin sickbay. The two female physicians were prepped and ready for surgery by the time the courage of Tiberius left the planet bound for Arabella. Because of planetary conditions, the CMO's medical tricorder was considered unreliable. On the flight to the ship, a verbal description of the wounds and a report of his stats was the best he could do to prepare the awaiting surgical team. Dr. Drett had seen many awful wounds in her eight years in the medical field, but the injuries Joseph bore were ghastly, and her heart caught in her throat as the med-techs brought his bloody body into surgery on the anti-grav lift. 
An air of high tension settled in the room as the extent of his wounds became all too apparent. Myella was affected in much the same way as Ryla. Neither doctor was specialized in this type of surgery, but both had performed numerous minor operations. In order to give Lieutenant DeCollin the best chance of survival, Ryla decided to activate the emergency medical hologram and assist rather than lead. The EMH appeared as the nurses quickly removed the tattered remnants of DeCollin's blood-soaked uniform and began prepping his body. Please state the nature of your medical emergency said a wiry, mousy-looking man with sandy blonde hair and dark brown eyes. We have a patient who's been gored by a wild animal, and he's bleeding profusely, snapped Ryla matter-of-factly. Our first task is to stop the bleeding, which happens to be surging from a gaping wound in his abdomen at the moment, continued the trill. Ah, yes, that does look problematic. We should begin immediately. The surgical support frame was pulled over DeCollin, and Ryla activated the sterofield to keep the surgical site completely free of contamination. The radiation field would automatically disinfect their hands and medical instruments each time they entered and exited the field. Myella scanned the unconscious chief of security and rattled off his heart rate and blood pressure, then handed the EMH an auto-suture. He wasted no time in attacking the complicated task of closing up the wounds. Ryla wasn't particularly fond of emergency medical holograms, as they tended to be on the pompous and arrogant side. This one was no different, and he proceeded to lecture the assisting physicians on the proper use of the device he was skillfully wielding. The autosuture is a surgical implement used to close and promote the healing of wounds from surgery or deep trauma by stimulating the patient's own anabolism, he began. Both doctors had used the implement many times. Ryla and Myella exchanged annoyed glances. This surgery was going to be grueling on many levels. The Trill only hoped that the end result would be Lieutenant DeCollin's complete recovery. This post is written by Jen and read by myself, who both happen to be me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Nareen Tevawash gazed upon the stone spire that rose from the necropolis like a sword stabbing the sky. Its white surface caught the rays of the sun and shone brilliantly, signaling the importance of the location and the contents hidden within. How had they moved past the heavily armored sentries without being discovered? Perhaps there's another entrance, thought the young science officer. But if one existed, how would they find it? She turned her gaze from the blinding edifice to Eric. If you were an ancient royal architect commander, where would you position the back door? A smile started to form on his face, and she returned it shyly. They started down a path that led to the foothills beyond the construct. As civilization shrank in the distance, Ensign Tevawash removed a pad, disguised as a scribed book, from a pack she carried at her side. The two officers stopped under the shade of a massive tree as she called up maps of the area, made with images taken from orbiting probes in years past. After studying it a moment, she turned her eyes from the device and pointed at a curiously symmetrical outcropping in the distance. Eric nodded approvingly. Very good, Ensign. An hour and several kilometers later, and they were standing at the mouth of a man-made cave. The only way to determine if this was the back door was to step inside and explore its mystery. Eric removed a small handheld lamp and illuminated the black, quarried corridors. Ladies first, he said. Age before beauty. She replied instinctively, then flushed when she realized she had said it aloud. Noreen was not at all qualified to take point and was more than a bit nervous at the prospect. This post is by Hawkeye Meds, read by Hawkeye Meds. Dunn's eye leveled the ground and he studied the pathway. 
little girl had ran through. Winigani caught a glimpse of movement ahead. Looking through the underbrush, he saw a few small buildings, a couple of people, and in the corner, he saw Lieutenant Commander James, studying the ongoing activity. Dunn made his way to James, and blended in with the away team. Are you alright, Ensign? Dunn looked straight at James. He saved my life, sir. He looked in a bad way. I... James stopped him from speaking. We have a mission to do, Ensign. Lieutenant DeCallan, Joseph, will be in the medical ward now. Come on. We will need to concentrate on what lies ahead. This post was written by In Stitches and read by Mark and Rowe. Mackie had not carefully read the report about the missing scientist, preferring to focus on the biological and botanical details. However, a detail she had skimmed flew to the front forefront of Mackie's mind. The missing scientists were two humans and a Donobulan, Dr. Ira Kellen. Of course, the woman who had been so enamored of her own work in cloning technology. This was the only Donobulan Mackie had ever met. She had affected an overly sweet smell. Perhaps it was her natural pheromone, but Mackie suspected it was her perfume. Let me demonstrate a little of the power I hold, said the magician, waggling his carefully groomed lavender eyebrows in a showman's way. From a bloomless sleeve, he pulled a shiny metal ring 30 centimeters across. He spoke in a magician's patter familiar on countless worlds. Techfell, my master, is a mighty blade. He commands many men, willing and... He met Carlos' eyes, unwilling. He spun the ring to show that it held nothing but a thin, clear film. He is the most talented at holding that which is not his. He keeps his friends close. He picked up a mottled blood-red gourd from a nearby table, tossed it into the air, and caught it on the top of his head, and his enemies closer. He dropped the gourd through the hoop and caught it. The clear membrane remained intact, but immediately extruded a second identical blood-red gourd, which he caught in the same hand. He twirled the ring and secreted it back into his sleeve. He then placed both gourds in several hands. Which is which? Which is the mimic and which is the original? Dr. Eric Helen ran a hand through her short golden curls, the only un- untouched part of her anatomy. She had long ago come to regret the green skin, the pointed ears, the smooth face. Would she ever be herself again? She looked at her, gu- her guards, bored, they studied the red fields around them, breathing deeply of the sulfur fumes that burped from the springs less than a kilometer away. If they knew what I really am, would they treat me so kindly? What would they do to an alien, an off-worlder? Would they add torture to the imprisonment, or would I still be alive? She touched her right ear, newly tattooed to show her unwilling fealty, and sighed. She had made many mistakes on this mission, but resolved not to betray any more secrets than she already had. This post is by Hawkeye Meds, and read by Hawkeye Meds. Why is he black? Where am I? I hear voices. Can anyone hear me? I can't see anything. I can't feel anything. Hello? Dunn. Dunn, are you there? Is the girl okay? The beast? Is it dead? Wait, I, I know your voice. Is that you, Viola? Viola? Why won't you answer me? How did I get here? I, I feel no pain. I feel tired. I did it. I saved them? Didn't I? Am I dead?
This post was written by Iceman and Moyer777 and read by Kenny. Dr. Peterson let Margon run after the blue man as he refocused his attention on Lieutenant Whitco. Dr. Peterson looked at Lieutenant Whitco's nose and exclaimed, Boy, he got you good, didn't he? It is definitely broken, so after we look after this woman, you will need to head back to the shuttle. I'm afraid this mission is over for you. The young lieutenant replied in somewhat of a disappointing tone. Yes, sir. Peterson smiled and said, There are a lot of worse ways to be taken off a mission. I would say that you performed your duties with distinction, and my report will reflect that when we get back to the Arabella. Peterson moved toward the broken-down cart and surveyed the damage. He saw that the broken left wheel and surmised that the accident was a result of the broken axle, which undoubtedly was responsible for the untimely death of the animal pulling the cart. The doctor could hear the buzzing of the flies as they swarmed around the dry blood of the dead animal. The stench was only made worse by the heat and humidity of the morning sun. As the doctor approached the young woman, who was definitely in her final stages of labor, the bushes from behind the cart parted and the blue man who had run away from Margon appeared. He was out of breath, but recognized Dr. Peterson as a healer. We need your help, he exclaimed. My wife is with child, and her time is now. Our steed has come to death, and she is at her time. Dr. Peterson quickly responded to him. I will need something to wrap the baby in, and some warm water. Dr. Peterson yelled out to Lieutenant Whitco as he positioned the woman so she would be comfortable and placed his knapsack under her head. He continued to focus his attention on her as she continued her breathing exercises. Lieutenant Whitco had gone quickly to get water and kept the expectant father busy so that he would not interrupt the doctor. Do you have something to wrap the child in? He asked the man. We have some skins of a denflone. They are soft and warm he said as he rummaged through his bag. Here, will this work? This is our first child. Oh, my name is Rafflelio. Yes, that will work fine, Rafflelio, said Whitco. Come with me and help me find some water, please. Rafflelio agreed and led him east. Lieutenant Whitco had started a small fire and had it ready to heat the water. It was hard not to use a phaser or technology from the ship. He couldn't risk being detected. The woman was dilated, and the contractions were only a few minutes apart. I do not know you, healer, she said. Where are you from? Never you mind. You are in good hands, he said. But you don't have the regulator. You need the regulator, she said, looking very concerned. The regulator? He looked up at her for a moment. Our other healer was given the regulator from the magician. It is a wondrous thing, she stated. Can you really help me without it? Will my baby be safe? The doctor made more small talk and tried to get information from this patient as her contractions came closer together. After about an hour, Margon heard the doctor yell out, Push! Push! This was soon followed by the cries of the baby, who was quickly cleaned up and wrapped in an animal skin blanket before being presented to the proud mother and father. The father looked at the small blue child, raised his head up into the air, and made the most amazing sound that the landing party had ever heard. It was as if deep trumpets were being blown. The sound made a little one turn its head, and in much to the amazement of Margon, Peterson, and Whitco, the baby opened its eyes and smiled. This is a joint post by Jen and Just X, read by Jen. 
Exactly how old do I look, Ensign? Commander James questioned as he led the way down the cool stone tunnel. He found himself quite amused with her statement and decided to continue the conversation that she started. I'm hardly a teen in comparison to your own race. Noreen kept her eyes fixed on her boots as she followed close behind the lieutenant commander. Oh, I didn't mean... I was just... You look unable to call upon the proper words. She followed with a pathetic... I'm sorry. The commander simply laughed. No offense was taken, Noreen. I also think you should call me Eric for the duration of the mission. Titles might give away our mission. Of course, sir. Eric. Luckily, the dim passage hid her embarrassment. You were born with both feet in your mouth, Noreen, she thought to herself. The air around them was stale and humid. The constant dripping of water filtering through the rock could be heard in the distance. The duo climbed a set of steps carved into the foot of the corridor. It was quite a hike, but before long they cleared the top. Eric's light illuminated a pair of crumbling statues, covered in the dust of bygone centuries. He concentrated for a moment and focused on the weak technological signal and led them in the direction of the source. So, what made you decide on this sort of life, Noreen? The echo of their boots grinding grit into the ancient stone floor accompanied them as they sliced their way through the darkness. The females on my homeworld are limited as far as career choices are concerned. We're either wives, concubines, nursemaids, or servants. We don't aspire to anything other than that because we don't know anything other than oppression. It's illegal to educate a female. We're not allowed to speak to anyone other than our caretakers. We have no rights, and abuse is commonplace. I was lucky. My brother taught me to read in secret. He smuggled me off the planet with him when he left for the Federation. Bannerin helped me submit my application to Starfleet Academy, and here I am. That's an interesting world you have there. Is there anything being done about the society? He said, and turned down a dimly lit tunnel. No. Alcoves carved in the wall were marked with script indicating the names of the occupants. With a few more steps, they reached their destination. In an unmarked crypt rested a mummified body that contained the source of the signal. Looks like we're here. My scientific instinct screamed that we should take him to a controlled environment where we can prevent contamination of samples or damage the body, said Noreen. Eric nodded. That's a fascinating idea. However, we don't have the tools we need to move the body without being discovered. Once we're back on the surface... We can call for the Aurora to move in and get it from us. Eric drew closer and simply observed the body. It was almost two meters tall, and from casual observation, it would be hard to tell the difference between it and any of the other remains stored there. The other sarcophagi contained various burial goods, but the one they studied was empty, save for the mummy itself. Noreen held her breath in a futile attempt not to exhale on the remains or inhale any foreign particles, and examined the fairly new addition to the necropolis. We'll have to do an autopsy to determine if he was in fact terrasic. But his ears look... odd. She removed a pair of gloves from her pack and slipped them on. Then she reached into the sarcophagus and traced the cadaver's ears. Something feels wrong here. Wrong how, Noreen? Eric asked as he observed her examination of the corpse. Medical was not his field of expertise, and one of the main reasons that he had developed his nanotech system. It was designed to keep him healthy during those times he had also been a solo explorer. Do you have what you need to figure that out here? While the rest of his body is drying, his ears are in relatively good shape. 
If the rest of his extremities were in similar condition, I would simply chalk it up to good technique and optimum environmental conditions. But it's dank down here. Humidity and bacteria has taken its toll, despite their best efforts to mummify him. Yet his ears remain relatively supple. It flexed under the touch of her gloved hand. I think his ears are cosmetic. But we should take him with us to confirm my conjecture. Do you have any suggestions on moving the body and preserving the condition with our limited resources? Eric asked. It would have been much nicer if he could have just transported it out, but conditions on the planet made that hard. If we can manage to get it to the surface, I believe that we could use a line of sight, close-range transport to beam it to Aurora. But you might need to get closer to us. Command codes verified. Activating final thoughts. Now for our final thoughts. Um, we are slowly bringing this puppy to an end. <laughs> and though we said last week that it would be two more weeks, I, I'm not sure that we're going to tie up all our loose ends um, effectively in this last remaining week. So we're going to extend it another week. You think that's enough, Kenny? Yeah, I think I think I mean we should let it naturally end. We just yeah. we have a goal of ending it in a few weeks. Yeah. So instead of you know we won't say on this day it's going to end until it gets closer and we know we can actually say it's going to end. Mm-hmm. But I, I think for now we'll just say you know what start tying start bringing things to a close. Let's give it a few weeks to actually finish, and then once from the moment that we stop and and season seven ends, we'll count one month. Of break period, and then we'll start yeah. again one month later. Yes. Um, and you know we are still going with the mirror universe, and several people have given us kind of ideas of what how they see it and how they want it. We're actually we're going to talk about having a Skype call um, to discuss it with our RPG members. So uh, we'll set something up. We'll see when most people are available, and we will have a little Skype call. And discuss how we all think we should take our story. Um, Jen and I have an idea of, of what we would like, but we want to hear from everybody else and and uh, come up with a really cool mirror universe uh, plot. Because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I know a lot of people are excited, and we actually probably will get more people into the RPG because of the cool concept of uh, the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, should so be- in, yeah, should be fun. So in the meantime, though, um, when you're working towards ending this season, um, send everybody, like, if you have an idea of how this should go, um, copy everyone who has a character on the planet and talk to them. Like, get their feedback before jumping in on um, a solution to the problem and trying to solve it all on your yeah. own. So, yeah. um, because everybody's working on ideas and a couple of us are working on them together because our characters are on the mission together and they're to get, you know, um, off mm-hmm. doing whatever it is they're, they've been assigned to do. So, um, just, just to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that you don't, um, throw a wrench in anyone's plans, go ahead and, and copy everyone um, that has a character on uh, on the ground and communicate your ideas with them and let everyone have an opportunity to respond to that. So, um, and yeah. for the most part, people have been doing that, but just in case um, there's somebody that, that has an, a great idea and wants to jump in with both feet, make sure you, you uh, talk to everyone else first because, like I said, there are people who have have been 
working on stories together for quite a while and, and are working on tying those ends up and you don't want to, you know, throw a wrench in, in, in anything. Yeah, yeah. So. Definitely joint posts are key. I mean, everybody should be doing joint, joint posts. Yes. Um, especially, especially with away missions like this. Yeah. Where it involves a, a lot of different characters. Um, and it's a great way of, of involving your character even if you don't have the time. Because a joint post you can have, like, with Jen and I, I know I've been busy with work, and she'll send stuff to me that involves Quinn, and all I have to do is add two or three lines and send it back to her. And then she'll write the bulk of it. So, you know, it still keeps me involved, um, not as much as I would like, but it's still I'm part of the story. Um, so joint posts really do help, and if, if you're not a strong writer, joint posts are great for that, by teaming up with a strong writer. Um, or if you just don't know where to jump in, PM somebody and say, you know what, I want to jump in, I just don't know where to go. And work with that person and have them bring their character into the story. Uh, I mean, obviously this is, we have already established the away teams, so mm-hmm. this is for future, uh, purposes, or even if on the ship, if you, if someone wants to get a story going on the ship, you know, there's a few of us up there. Yeah. Uh, that can, that can, you know, we have two weeks or so to finish things up. We can always get a little mini story going in, you know. Yeah, we can have something disastrous happen with the transporter <laughs> beam or. <laughs> I think Rico's yeah, character created some type of probes that were supposed to enhance emergency beam outs. Maybe something gets foiled or... Yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, we definitely set up for the mirror universe also. Mm-hmm. I know that there's also there was also um, DeColin, um, one of the characters um, who's in the, the mission, was injured and he was beamed to the ship. And um, Iceman and I talked about how we were going to approach the, the surgery you know, so things like that, you know, uh, provide people who were writing characters who were still on the ship great opportunities to jump into it, to the story without being a part of the away team. So yeah, there's yeah. always something that you yeah. can do. So. But let's definitely start thinking about finishing up this uh, current season, mm-hmm. and let's let's go out with a bang, but not literally. We're not going <laughs> to not another explosion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely let's let's. Take a few weeks and finish this uh, season seven, and we'll set up a Skype call uh, after that, and we will start uh, discussing our next season eight, which will begin a month after we finish season seven. Do you have anything else, Jim? Yeah, if you're listening um, to the Ready Room and you've been toying with the idea of joining the RPG, this break is a great opportunity for you to be... Um, talking to Kenny and I about the the likelihood of if um, some character that you would like to create to play a role in our in our story, um, you could also be reading character profiles to make sure that that character you've thought of does not contradict or step on any other characters that are in our story, mm-hmm. and maybe even you know read season five. It's a or this past season. Um, actually, season five is probably our favorite. And I would suggest starting with that if you have an interest in, in getting an idea of who these mm-hmm. characters are that you'll be, um, you know, interacting with. Yeah. So, yeah, use that opportunity to, to read a little bit of, of the RPG and definitely the, the rules and um, the character profiles. Yep. Yep. Cool. And I'm still looking for helpers when with reading RPG posts. Because uh, in the next few weeks, I'm sure we're going to get uh, a deluge of uh, posts. 
And uh, I have a, a great group right now, but we can always use more. So if you feel like reading some of the posts, um, you can definitely email me. You can reach me at thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. Thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just send me a PM also through the forums. And you get to the forums by going to www.chucksandsci-fi.com and click on the forums link. I think that's going to do it. All right. All right. This is Jen. And this is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to The Ready Room, please listen to the Anomaly Podcast, where female and fandom converge.